Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to the uh, Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. This is episode 223. Today we have Mike Lee. Mike Lee is the founder of both Mindshift Labs and Thrive 3. Bridging his background in basketball leadership and performance, training some of basketball's 1% with mindfulness and emotional intelligence, Mike helps high-performing leaders master the psychology needed to lead and perform in a 2020 world. Through his experience building an international basketball brand from his college apartment and growing it while beating the heroin-like withdrawal symptoms of pharmaceutical medication, Mike understands the challenges leaders face. Drawing on the latest research from neuroscience, basketball, and personal experience, he shared stories and practical exercises across the United States, Indonesia, and Spain to help people find their own inner power and poise to thrive in business and life. He is a founder of Thrive3, a basketball training company that creates game-changing experiences that cross over from the court to life. At Thrive3, he's worked at academies or individual development sessions with players like NBA MVP Stephen Curry, all-star Joel Embiid, and Rookie of the Year Malcolm Brogdon. Mike is also the author of the internationally sold book, Untrained. Coaches, I think you're really going to like Mike and his perspective on how we can become more mindfulness as coaches, and that will carry over to our players. I'm going to really delve into uh, how he can help me out, how I can work with my players better, and uh, just to create a better performer on the court. So I'm excited to have Coach Mike Lee. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. 
Mike, this is episode 223, man. So that's amazing. <laughs> a little crazy. And I, I've had some of your, I mean, a lot of your guys, you might know Alan Stein, all those guys uh, that you know, and I've been very fortunate to pick their brains. They're just an average coach like myself, who's just a blue collar coach. Uh, but I love talking to you guys. Hey, uh, Mike Lee is founder of both MindShift Labs and Thrive, uh, Thrive 3 um skill development and so forth and i want him to talk about both of those but he's really really just kind of just pursuing excellence through his program of mindshift labs and i'm really going to pick his brain how can he help us coaches at the high school middle school level uh develop better performers uh better mindsets right mike hey give us a little background of yourself because i know you have a very interesting background and how you got in to transforming lives. I'll try to share this story in as clear and concise way as possible because it's not very short. But basically, it was the end of my sophomore year in college. And obviously, I played high school basketball, college basketball. And in my sophomore year in college, a buddy of mine were having a conversation. And we just, we grew up in a super, super small town in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, about 12,000 people three hours, three, four hours from Minneapolis and uh, the Milwaukee area. We just wanted to put on a summer basketball camp in our hometown for the kids to have an opportunity where they didn't have to go three, four hours to get really good quality basketball instruction during the summer. And put together this camp, I designed a flyer on Microsoft Word on my mom's computer, printed it out, and you know, we just drove it around town and First year, we had 100 kids that showed up at camp. The second year, we had about 200. And the third year after I had graduated, we were close to 300 kids. And at that point, I thought I wanted to coach college basketball. But I saw that there was was a different path that I could take. And we decided to build out this camp from a one-off camp for one week in one location in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin to an AAU program that we ran for a few years somebody else has taken it over and we, you know, we had five teams uh, the last year that I ran. And I think they're well over a hundred right now. Uh, and we built out a, a really a, a national camp program. We ran events literally all across the world from Indonesia, all across the United States. We opened an Academy in Barcelona and also had a training facility in Milwaukee. That was more so the elite level players that we were working with from, you know, we worked with, probably about a couple dozen NBA guys over the course of about 10 years there. And, you know, we've always been about people. We've always been about impacting kids and using the game as a way to reach players and, and not only improve their game, but to improve their life and help them become better leaders and, and maximize their potential. And that really got escalated about six years ago when I decided to go out to Los Angeles for the summer or for the winter, because I used to get incredibly depressed during the, during the winters in Wisconsin. Right. It was basically, you know, you go 30 days, there's no sunlight and it's just it for some people, like it has a, uh, has a detrimental effect on their, on their mental health. And I just decided that I wasn't going to do a, winter in Wisconsin anymore because I was just done dealing with the depression and the knocking in out of bed some days till three or four o'clock in the afternoon till I had to go to our gym and work some kids out and 
I just decided I had had enough and I was going to go move to move to Los Angeles. And I got there and it was sunny out. It was January and sure. I was feeling better than I'd ever felt before in the winter. And I decided to get off this antidepressant medication that I had been on for at that point, the last 14 years. Wow. And getting off of it was quite literally like getting off of heroin. It was just insane what I went through over the course of a couple of years getting off of this medication. And it really, from the standpoint of just put me into this state of chronic emotional instability. I would just go from laughing to crying to crazy anxiety to depression all within a couple hours. And so I knew at that point, if I was going to continue to go through the process of getting off this medication, that I needed something to help me win this battleground that had been created in my mind. Because it's what it felt like every day. I felt like I was just going to war in my mind, trying to get present every single day. And at that point, I had been practicing yoga for about a year and decided to commit to a daily meditation practice, a completely secular mindfulness meditation practice. And it completely changed my life. I mean, I realized after about eight weeks that all the mental performance aspects that we were teaching in the basketball space at that time from just anything that has to do with mental performance, right? A kid is in his head, he just, he's on the free throw line and he just got fouled and now he's got to shoot a free throw with seven seconds left in the game. And the ability to just bring yourself back into the present moment to let your training take over, to be able to just play calm in the middle of chaos, to be able to deal with the change and the uncertainty that, that happens on the court. And, and on the bench as, as a coach, leading a team through a, uh, through a game, right? All these skills were elevated from focus to self-awareness to your ability to connect and develop relationships and then being able to, to challenge players and get them to be more and do more and become more. All these skills were elevated when you had a uh, mindfulness practice. And that's because when you have a meditation practice, just like you go on a training program or an exercise program, you see physical evidence of change in your body, right? Your right. muscles break down, they elongate, and they, they grow back stronger. Well, when you have a mindfulness practice, there's areas of your brain that also change. There's an area in your front called the neocortex. It's responsible for things like your executive function. So your decision-making, your self-awareness, that area actually grows and gets bigger. The area that is responsible for your fight, flight, or freeze response. So bringing this back to basketball, right? Your, your stress response in pressure situations, that area in your brain actually shrinks a little bit. So you're less reactive to stress and you're able to stay more in the present moment. And so at that point, I had a realization and that was instead of building basketball players, that I had a deeper purpose in my life and that was to be building people. And while as coaches, we, you know, that's always a part of what you're doing. Right. It's, you know, regardless of what level you're at, you, you are building relationships, you're building people, you're building kids. I wanted to do that 100% of the time instead of 80% of the time. And that's where MindShift Labs was born into a, a corporate leadership and performance training business through keynotes, workshops, and coaching. Yeah, and and I'm I'm thinking of your story of, of you. I, I don't I don't like to make comparisons because I know you don't like to make comparisons, but Alan Stein was very depends stoic. on who it is. <laughs> well well Alan Stein, you know, you know Alan really well. Um, 
but he he changed over and so forth. And the question is, when did the basketball development side was that just enough, or when did you want to make that? I know you probably already kind of hinted towards it, but um, when did you know that you ne- needed to make this change? Because I think all of us have a professional desire maybe to do something different. How do you know that? There's a couple parts to that uh, parts to that answer. The first was back when I was building my basketball company, I had a degree in psychology. I knew nothing about what it took to build a business or what it would take to build a business. And so, and because I wanted to just, I wanted to be better. I wanted to impact kids. I would read a ton of John Maxwell and a guy named Jim Rohn, who I don't know if, yeah, Jim Rohn, right? And Robin Sharma and all these personal development and leadership icons. I've read so many of their books and I remember reading a Jim Rohn book once and I thought, God, what an unbelievable life to be able to write about my journey and the things that I'm learning and then be able to turn around and teach that to other people. That would be amazing, right? And then I went through this process of getting off the, the medication, but then I remember, you know, as you can imagine, it was a, an emotional journey. <laughs> I remember I was, I don't know where I was going, but I was in a hotel room one night, probably going to run a basketball camp somewhere. And I remember watching, I am not your guru with Tony Robbins. And I know he's can be a divisive uh, person. And, you know, there's some people that might not be on board with, with Tony Robbins, but at the end of the video or at the end of the documentary, they asked him, you know, you got millions of dollars, you got all these different businesses. Why do you keep doing this? And he said, I have an insatiable desire to alleviate suffering for as many people as I possibly can in my lifetime. Uh, sure. And when he said those words, I just started to cry like crazy because I knew that was it. I knew that my, that, that gave my, my journey and the experience and the adversity of going through this period in my life, getting off this medication and everything that it entailed, that gave it purpose. And I knew that that was, that was next. And in doing so, when, you know, we're all suffering to a certain degree in some way, shape or form. And, and uh, lots of it is unconscious that for me, it was 100%, you know, going back to prior to this experience, getting off medication, there's so many things that we just stuff down into our, our subconscious mind that affects how we show up in the world as leaders, as coaches, as educators, as high performers. Those things that we stuff down inside of us eventually will catch up with us and it's going to, at some point, it's going to limit us. And so the way I I frame it up is by alleviating the level of suffering that we're going through or learning to work with that, we unlock the human potential that resides within everybody. And so that was the point. What really was, I watched that video, and I just, the tears just were flowing, and I knew that there was a new purpose. Yeah, that's great. That's when you knew there was, there was a moment of change or a moment of decision. That's really cool. You recognize that. I'm not sure if everybody recognized, I think we all have those, but I'm not sure if everybody, you actually took it, and then you moved to that next level. So that says a lot about you. Who are your mentors? Because 
I know I have a lot of coaches that have been mentors in my life that I have studied with and learned from. Who are guys that you are considered your mentors that have really kind of shaped your philosophy on, on what you're doing now? There's so many, so many. I have, I'm, my mind is just running trying to think of even where to start. I mean, you know, as a kid growing up, you just, one of my mentors said this and he said, you know, a kid rarely remembers his teacher, but they never forget their coaches. Sure. And, you know, so I'm just, I'm just thinking of all the coaches that I've had and that's not, not a knock against educators. Mm -hmm. Can you that, hear me, Mike? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Can you hear me? I I just I just had a little little glitch there. That's all right. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I was just I was just saying that it's not a, a knock on educators. It's just I, I think you know teachers and coaches are some of the most important uh, leaders really in our mm -hmm. world. I just think it speaks to the power of of sports and the power of athletics and using that as an avenue to reach kids. And so I mean I've had I've had so many. I, I would say the one one that really stands out that really shaped my life for a long time was a guy by the name of, of Dave MacArthur. And sometimes sometimes I can tell this story with without getting emotional and sometimes I can't, but <laughs> sure. When I was when I was a, well, when I was in college, you know, I didn't have a, a summer job. I basically worked basketball camps all summer long. And I would just drive all over the country because at that time I thought I wanted to be a college basketball coach, a division one college basketball coach. And so I just, I wanted to just learn as much as I possibly could about the game. I mean, I drive from Wisconsin all the way out to basically to New York city to work five star and just be around all these legendary coaches and just I was trying to soak up as much as I could but there was some coaches in Wisconsin that I think were just as good at teaching the game as anybody else I'd ever been around and one of them was a guy by the name of Dave MacArthur and I, I will never forget this memory from a camp where it was a super hot humid July summer day and we're at this we're at the Prairie du Chien perimeter camp and we we're at this gym with probably 100 kids in there a small high school gym with about 100 kids and it was just super hot and humid and everybody's in there dripping sweat and it's just you know one of those days you're just getting after it a summer basketball camp right sure. and my job at these camps was to be a demonstrator because at the time I was playing college basketball and so I would be demonstrating all the moves the drills and everything in front of all the kids at camp and I remember doing, Dave had me demonstrating this two ball cross court dribbling drill. And I would be going from sideline to sideline and have to make a couple moves at each volleyball line. And so I would have two basketballs and at one line I have to cross one basketball over and at the other one, put the, or put the other one behind my back. So I'm up in front of about a hundred kids demonstrating and I'm going kind of slow on the first trip because I'm in front of a hundred kids and I don't want to screw up at camp. <laughs> And I successfully make it one trip across the court. And on the way back, I, my confidence is up a little bit. So I speed it up a little bit. And I lose the basketballs 
going on the way back. Sure. And on the third trip, after I get the bass fellas back, I'm going slower again because I don't want to screw up again in front of all these kids. And I lose the basketballs. Right. And all I remember was Dave blowing his whistle, looking at me, and saying, you suck, Mike. I cannot believe that you can't do this drill. You got to put more time in, man. You suck. Woof. Yeah. And you know what? I got really, really good at that drill. <laughs> but sure. It wasn't because he called me out in front of 100 kids at camp. What I didn't tell you is that it was because he took the time to build this relationship with me first. Right. When I was a junior in high school, he would work me out basically against our high school association rules because he was actually a coach at a different school. Mm -hmm. He used to work me out in the summers. Uh, during, the, during the season, he used to take me around. He'd pick me up and take me around to watch different high school and college basketball games to teach me about the game. He used to, we used to go work out and he'd take me out to eat afterwards. And he just developed this relationship with me. He was going to do anything, anything he possibly could to give me an opportunity to be the best player that I was capable of becoming, no matter what that meant. Because he just, he showed up and he just, he led from his heart every day. And he's no longer with us, actually. He's, he's, uh, he passed away, actually, at, at age of 36, early, so super wow. early. Uh, but that guy impacted more people in his you know 36 years than most people do in a lifetime and he's definitely somebody that shaped my life i mean he the hardest working guys i've ever met in my entire life i mean he he just he was the epitome of leading by example of being the change that you want to see and, and demonstrating the behaviors and the work ethic and the way he wanted his players to show up and the kids that he taught at school to show up in the classroom and the world and, and on the court. And he just, he shaped my life in so many ways. And that, that's, he really taught me the power of modeling, the power of, of demonstrating and, and how powerful that can be. Yeah. He, I love that. Definitely one of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, why didn't you? I'm going to ask a couple of tough questions for you on that. It, to me, you would be an ideal that, I mean, your best mentor was a basketball coach. Did you ever think about pursuing high school and college coaching? Or you did, I think you already told me before, but why didn't you pursue more of the coaching realm? Yeah. So there's a backstory to that. I didn't really get into it when I first started, but or when we first started the conversation, I, I did want to do that. Believe it or not, I, my, when I think early in college, I was going to school to be a high school art teacher, actually. <laughs> and yeah, an art teacher, and I wanted to coach high school basketball. And that's okay. what I thought that I wanted to do. I've, I feel like, you know, I've definitely had a passion for the arts and creativity and music and, and everything that's in that space. But that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I realized, I think I did, I did some sort of report and, and I realized for a class, I think it was a, maybe a career class or business class or something. I realized, wow, I could actually coach college basketball. 
why don't I do that? That's a lot better than having to be a teacher. I get to just coach basketball all the time, right? When I didn't really know everything that college basketball entails with recruiting and academics and all that stuff, right? And so when I, part of the reason that I built this, the AAU program that we talked about was because I played a little bit of division three college basketball, meaning it was going to basically be impossible for me to get on staff doing anything but laundry at a division one school anytime in the near future. Right. I didn't have a, a name where I had a, I had a playing career at Duke or UCLA or even a Marquette or a Wisconsin or anything like that. So my, my strategy really was, Hey, if I'm as good as I think I am, I'm going to build this, I'm going to build this AU program. I'm going to start with these kids when they're in seventh grade. I'm going to work with them until they're through high school. And if they get better and they get recruited, I'm going to get to be able to develop all these relationships with these college coaches. They're going to be able to see the teams play that, that I'm coaching. We're going to be able to have conversations about the game and philosophy and, and everything that a recruiting process entails. And that's how, that's going to be my way in. So I'm going to coach these kids for the next five years, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to coach college basketball. And really what happened was I had the AU program for about three years, and I just realized that I just wanted to be on the court. I wanted to be doing workouts. I realized that I didn't want to recruit. I didn't want to be a, a director of operations. I just wanted to be on the court. And so I let go of the basketball business or the, uh, the, the AAU comp, uh, division of the company. And we opened this training facility in Milwaukee. And that was really how, how that evolved and why I didn't go down that road. I just, I wanted to be on the court. I loved working players out individually and, and running camps. And that was really the, the decision to leave the coaching space. And you know, I think there's things that you miss out on. You don't have the journey of the season, which is you know something that's kind of, it's really difficult to replicate. No matter what space you're in, really, there's nothing like the journey of the season and building a program. And so you don't get that, but you also don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches of, of exactly high school basketball coach. You know, yeah. you're, you're the guy who's just helping the kids get better. You're not the guy who's not playing your kid enough. <laughs> so, you know, and, and so there, there's trade-offs to it for sure. But that was kind of why I didn't go down that, down that road. Yeah. And I, it sounds like to me, Mike, you like the personal, just kind of getting a feel for you. You like the personal connect, personal connection, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever, small group um, where you have hands-on contact. And, and personally for me as a coach, I love, dividing my players up. The other day I was working with one of my little guards and I still think I got handles, but I don't have Mike Lee handles. Okay. All right. But Hey, we're working on left hand. We're working on, you know, just this basic stuff, even at the varsity level. And I can see her progression every yeah. single day. I love that really more than the wins. We're five and oh, I love seeing individual players get better. Uh, so I think high school coaches need to do a better job doing individual work like you, like you did. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we forget is that 
you can have the best offense on paper, but if your kids don't have the skills to execute the offense, then that offense is not going to be successful. No, no matter how great it might look when you saw it at a, at a clinic or you, you broke it down from watching Duke play or whatever it is, you know, you can't run a ball screen offense if the kids don't know five different reads at the different coverages when you're coming off the ball screen. You can't teach a kid to split a ball screen unless he's got a great crossover. Like, the, you know, one of our philosophies going back to that space was, you know, skills before situations. If the kids don't have the skills, they're never even going to have the awareness to look to make that pass or to make that move if they, if they don't have the skills to be able to execute that. So I, I'm, I'm 100% on board with what you're talking about. Mike, let's move into, I, I want you to address us high school coaches and what sequential uh, curriculum would you provide us here on putting together, taking your concepts of mindfulness, how can we apply it to our, our teams? Can answer that in, in several ways. I think, you know, I think a big thing is to number one, before you even get into mindfulness is figure out what, what's the change that I want to make. What's the outcome that I want by implementing something new. And, you know, lots of one question that, and this is kind of a similar question, but lots of times people ask me, well, what's the first step to changing your mindset? And the answer really is, well, it has nothing to do with your mindset. It's about figuring out what you want first. And so I think that's really the first step. And so, you know, and that goes back to, back to vision, right? What are we, what's the vision that, that we're, we're trying to create? What's the, at the end of the season, what do we want to be celebrating? What do we want? What do we want to look back on with pride and fulfillment in, right? And so I think that's that's the first step, really, is figuring that out. So, um, but I mean, there's there's definitely ways you can implement it. I think a big thing, you know, going back to the pressure aspect is really, you know, mindfulness is. And maybe before we even get into that, it's really to define some of this for people, right? Because it can be kind of a, um, I believe that mindfulness is a something you have to learn through experience. It's not something that you can learn through theory. And so, but if we define it, I think it'll give people a little bit of context as to what we're talking about. So when I say mindfulness, I mean, it's a skill. It's really a mental skill of creating the awareness of your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions in the present moment. Meditation is simply a, an exercise to train that level of awareness, that, that um, train your mind to operate with that awareness. Just like you have your, you got 10 drills to work on extending your range. Well, there's several different exercises you can use to work on expanding your awareness capability right and so just uh, a, a super super uh, relevant example is really you know we want our players attention and their energy to be in the present moment as much as possible right so when a player you know misses a shot and they're frustrated because they miss it mm -hmm. and now they're they're in their head about the shot that they just missed, their mind is in the past. It's not in the present moment, which is the only place where they can take any sort of action to get to the next play, 
on the court, right? Whether that's getting back on defense, whether that's spacing back out after they, you know, maybe got into the paint and missed the floater. Like, what are they doing next? What's the next play? And that that next play that needs to happen only only comes from a thought that's in the present moment, right? And so when we have this, create this awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, we're able to then direct our attention into the present moment more. So, you know, another example is, you know, you're, there's 10 seconds left in the game. You're down by one. There's a timeout. Your coach is drawing up a set. Like, where's your attention actually at? Are you spaced out thinking about what if I get the basketball? What am I going to do? Are you thinking about the fact that maybe you just missed a shot 30 seconds ago uh, to, that maybe would put your team up by one and you wouldn't even be in this timeout right now? You know, where is your attention in the moment? And I think when you talk about high performance, you know, there's a player that I've worked with since he's been in, in sixth grade and, and he's an unbelievable shooter. He now plays for the, uh, plays for the Raptors, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Matt Thomas. And you know, one thing that we talked about a few years ago, I think going into his senior year was, you know, Matt, when you miss a shot, is it because you haven't put in enough reps and put in enough time or you didn't make a thousand three-pointers a day over the summer before the season starts? Or is it because when you when you catch the basketball and you're going into your shot, that your your attention is not completely locked into the present moment, right? And it's when you get to a certain level, the changes that you make are so incremental from a skill standpoint, right. but from a mental standpoint, it's about how do I lock in at a higher percentage of the time that I'm on the court? How am I completely locked into the moment at instead of 70% of the time, I'm locked in at 80% of the time. And then how do those, how does that level of focus, that level of presence manifest in external results from a, a skill standpoint, from a production standpoint. I'm gonna jump right into that because yeah. I have examples for my team. I want you to help me, Mike. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball. And we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com. Give us a call or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller, Head Master Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision podcast clinic series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, 
lecture style via Zoomcast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole-body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives. Um, I got a kid. Now we're 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 a pressing running team. We average for a girl. We average about 65 points a game. We average a lot of possessions. Um, but I do have a when we shoot a lot of threes because uh, we have we have a lot of shooters, um, a lot of guard, almost all guards. But uh, I have one kid that you can tell when she misses shots, it affects the rest of her game. Now she's a really good defender. She has other facets that are good, but I think she's hearing other voices <laughs> talking about, hey, you need to score points, you need this and that. So there's all sorts of factors involved. How can I get her to lock in on not worrying about missed shots? Because I keep telling her to shoot. Well, I think, you know, mindfulness is, you know, and training that, that mind is really the same as training any other skill. And so my belief is that, yeah, you can focus, you can set an intention to be more present, to be more mindful. But if you set an intention to be a better three-point shooter without doing the work, Right. It doesn't really, it doesn't really create the change that you're looking for. So my suggestion would be to start with a meditation practice, really, even if it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes mm -hmm. a day to uh, really start to learn to work with your mind and to create that awareness of, because lots of times, you know, it's not about sustained focus. It's about sustained awareness, awareness of where my attention is at any moment in time so that I can redirect it back to what I actually want to focus on. And so for her, you know, example is, and this goes back to kind of what we we're talking about when we first got into the, the topic of mindfulness is, you know, if a kid starts a game 0 for 7, mm -hmm the difference between that kid being able to turn that game around or not is all about where they're placing their attention, right? They can, the, the player that goes 0 for 7 to start the game and then goes 1 for 15 for the rest of the game is the player that is still living in the past. They're still focused for the rest of the game on, on how they didn't start the game the way that they wanted to. And so it's really, and, and lots of times this is unconscious. And that's why this is such a, sure. a, a powerful tool is because it brings the, the unconscious to the conscious. And, and until we do that, we're just letting the, our, our performance run on autopilot, really. But when we can create that awareness of where that attention is, then we can just, we can place it back into the moment. So I, I think, you know, a really, tactical way to approach it you know for for her right specifically is you know this is something that we it's actually something that we used to teach before we even started teaching mindfulness when we were in the basketball space was going one for one we just wanted to focus on 
one shot at a time, every, even when we're going through a drill, right? And a kid is, and this is something that will carry over to a game, right? Let's say they're doing, we used to do this drill called Celtic 50. And that, maybe, maybe you do it, I don't know. But uh, the drill we got back when Kevin Eastman, who's not even coaching anymore, was at the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. This tells you how long ago this was. <laughs> and basically, you just had to make 10 threes at five different spots around the arc. Corner, wing, top of the key, wing, corner. And you basically would go to you hit 50, and then whatever your – however many shots it took you, you were trying to beat that. So whether you are 50 for 70, 50 for 65, whatever it was – let's say a kid's going through that drill, right? And they missed two, three, four, five shots in a row. We're bringing in that, that mantra, if you will, right? Just one for one, one for one. And that's all we're, all we're trying to focus on. I think that's something that will carry over to the game, right? Something that you can, it's a, it's a, a link from training. It's a, it's a trigger from training that can carry over to the game. So you're using that in practice with a with this kid that is uh, struggling through a drill, and your point of emphasis or your 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 teaching point is one for one. I don't know what her name. What's her name? Uh, Kenzie. Uh, Kenzie. Kenzie. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's Kenzie, you're just going one for one. Right. One for one. One for one. And then you can bring that into the game, and I think that's a. Uh, it's a, a coaching point. It's a reminder. It's a trigger to, to bring your attention back to the moment. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. And we, uh, I love those trigger points. I think the language is important, right? Mike, Can, give me an example of some great, either as athletes or I know you're just not working with athletes, but people that you're working with now, give me the effects of language, the, the, the trigger words, the key words that are so important that would help us coaches kind of ignite our players' minds. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is be here now. It's like, you know, you can, you can see, like you can see in a kid's body language, in a kid's uh, just where their eyes are at, where their focus is at during a workout. That's, that's something I use a lot during when I, you know, I haven't coached a basketball game forever, but <laughs> when I was working guys out, you know, just in the summer and it's the grind of the summer. It's, are we trying to, you know, one thing that Kevin Eastman used to say is, are you trying to get through the workout? Or are you trying to get from the workout? Hmm. And so one phrase that I used to use a lot was be here now, you know, where, and just at, and just even asking the simple phrase, where's your attention at? And just get, you know, it's just a reminder to, to get their, them out of their head out of the, hey, this is what I'm going to do after practice. Here's what I'm going to do after the workout. Where am I going to go eat? I got to talk to this girl, whatever it is, right? Using a phrase like that to just bring their attention back into the moment. Because the reality of it is, is anything that we're trying to create from the future only happens in the present moment. So true. Yeah, and I think you're just like the almost the one possession philosophy right. too as well. yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I, I totally agree with that. And I think as coaches, I think we jump ahead too. I know you've, it's not just the players. I think the coach's mindset and the meditation, that's essential too. How can you help us coaches during a season focus on just the present instead of jumping ahead to maybe tougher opponents or whatever? How can you help us out? Well, I think that starts with just being more present with yourself. 
just learning to be more with yourself, be more comfortable with yourself, right? More comfortable feeling the emotions of, of, you know, instead of, you know, we want to be in a place, a game, like I'll, I'll blink, bring up a super cliche example, but you know, you're, you're reacting to a bad call, right? Right. The reality of it is you go into a game, like you should expect that they're going to be exactly. a massive number of bad calls. Right. It's crazy to me how many coaches, you know, and like, it's easy for me to say, I haven't coached a basketball game and going on almost 12 years, but like how many coaches still react to bad calls and it takes them out of the moment, out of the things that they actually could be, could be focusing on. Right. But just being able to just being aware of where your attention is. Am I focusing on creating what's next or is my attention fragmented and in the past, even if it's only for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, those 10, 15 seconds in a, in a game can decide the game. And so I think it's learning to just be more, you know, be more present with yourself to start. Um, I think that's a, that's a big, big thing. I, I think from a, a relationship standpoint, you know, being able to reach and influence and impact players only happens when there's trust built. And that trust is only built with a connection in the present moment, fully not, showing up fully in the present moment with a kid, with a player uh, and developing that relationship. And I think, you know, we, we live in this, world of constant distraction and change and disruption and technology and advertising bombardment. And we are that 10 minutes that you can just show up fully with a kid is super, super impactful. Yeah. And that's where, um, I mean, what do you think about this, Mike, on that? Because I'm, I'm thinking about, again, we're focusing on high school basketball coaches. Um, Don't you really feel like, pre-practice, post-practice, and this is what I really believe in, five minutes, 10 minutes, here or there, even though you're doing the workout, you're building that relationship stronger, aren't you? 100%. There's so many opportunities to do it versus just sitting there and observing. There's just how many, how many touch points can you create within that practice or pre-practice or whatever it is. I mean, there, right. there's tons of opportunities, no question about it. It doesn't have to be around basketball. Lots of times it's the best thing to uh, connect with a kid on is something outside of basketball. Outside, which nowadays is tough. I mean, how is, I mean, now the COVID relationships now, I mean, everything's Zoom. Um, talk about that a little bit on how we can, I mean, how are you working with your clients now? Is everything Zoom, which I think is really tough. How are you doing it? Everything's Zoom. Everything's virtual. Okay. Uh, oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it is what it is. And I think, you know, for me, one of the challenges was, you know, when, when COVID hit and all live events got canceled, I was in a place of massive resistance to what was going on. I was like, well, what's, what is going to happen? You know, and I, I was in resistance for about a week, kind of almost in that shock phase, and which I think a lot of people were. But I, I just, until I 
got to a place of acceptance, I wasn't open to all the possibilities that could exist, opportunities to create new things in this new normal that, you know, we're still going to be in for quite a while yet, whether that's, you know, you think it's the right thing to do or not, it is what it is. And this is not about acceptance from the standpoint of laying down your weapons and not trying and not putting in the work. It's more so about just getting acceptance so that you can get clarity as to what actually is in the moment. And it is incredibly difficult right now to connect with people. I think that's, that's, that's something common that people are suffering with across all industries right now. I mean, some more than others, especially when you're in the, the anything that has, that was heavily tied to human interaction, right? If you're somebody who's a, a software programmer, you're not, your day is not as affected as much as if you were a student or a teacher or somebody's in front of people all day long, but uh, you know, we've all been affected. And I think getting, you know, creative with how you do that and still develop those relationships is, um, you know, is tough to do, but I think, you know, from a relationship standpoint, you know, especially with kids, like you can still connect with a kid six feet away, right? You know what I mean? Like you can sure. still adhere to the guidelines and the and the uh, the restrictions and everything that have been imposed on us, and still, you know, as a high school coach, right? You know, there's no reason that you can't spend five minutes with a kid before or after practice every day, and you rotate that through, and you know, you get you get to have that individual time with the kid. Um, distance or whatever it is. How, I don't know. I mean, everybody's situation and the, and yeah. the regulations they have to adhere by are, are different. But right. even if it is six feet mask on outside, you can still do it for five minutes, 10 minutes with a kid before or after every single practice and get through everybody on your, on your roster every 10 days or whatever it is and have that point of personal connection because you're not bumping into them in the hallways during school or being able to connect with them after class or after school or before school, you don't have those, those natural occurrence, occurrences. You just have to be more intentional about how you create those. Yeah, I love that, Mike. And, and I only have a couple more questions for you. I really want to talk about, I, and this is what I see a lot with coaches, okay? And I, this is my 30th year of coaching. Um, the one thing I've learned over the years is I can adjust my voice. Um, there's a lot of times when I'm really intense, but I know when, when I want to get my point across, I, I, it's eye contact, it's tone of voice, soft, get your point across. Where I see a lot of coaches, I think they, 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 they yell at their players. They constantly in the past, Mike, focusing on mistakes. Hey, you got in timeouts. You got to move forward, right? You got to forget about the mistake, and this is what we're going to do now. I think timeouts are underrated as far as communication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's an opportunity in every pause like that to be able to to communicate. I think, you know, as far as the tone of voice and and how you deliver a message to a kid, I think the most important thing is to understand the kid first, right? right? If you want to influence somebody, you have to understand what already influences them. If, uh, 
if a kid is going home every night and he's getting berated by his dad because he didn't shoot, take enough shots and whatever it is, you yelling at a kid during practice is going to do the complete opposite of what you actually want to happen. And so I think the whole key to that is, is you got to understand the kid first. You got to understand his triggers. You got to understand what motivates him. You got to understand the way that he is best, uh, the way that he best receives communication. Um, This is kind of random. And I've actually never had this conversation with a a basketball coach before, but uh, I have brought this up in business communication, leadership uh, communication. And that's, are you familiar with the, with, I don't remember his, his last name is Chapman. He wrote the five love languages. I have heard about it. Yes. And I, I can't remember. Yes. I can't remember the name, but I, I have heard right. it. Yes. So, and then I'll tie this back to kind of what you, what you're talking about, but there's this book called the five love languages. And it was written by a guy who's a marriage and family therapist. Basically he just used to work with, uh, people struggling with their, with their marriages and couples. And what he realized is that there were these five essentially ways that people communicated in a relationship. And of these five, people are more prone to feel love in a certain way. And I don't I can't remember all, well, maybe I'll get them here, but there's acts of service. There's uh, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation and gifts. Those are the five, right? And everybody feels loved in, they have a tendency to feel loved in one of those ways at a higher level, right? Like for me, if somebody gives me a gift, right? It doesn't really do much for me, but uh, words of affirmation and physical touch are the ways that I feel loved the most, right? And so as a coach or as anybody who's in a leadership position, right? And lots of coaches on here, but if you're in education, if you're in, if you're a principal or a leadership position in any, any uh, type of organization where you have to connect with and influence other people, understanding the way that they feel loved is the quickest way for you to build a relationship and be able to develop that trust and be able to communicate with them. So you know, and it doesn't have to be something huge, but figuring out, you know, if I was, if I was a coach right now, I would 100% make my kids take this test because you can communicate to them. Maybe it doesn't feel authentic to you, but it's the, the best way that they receive the communication. And so I, I think that translates so uh, closely to coaching and to working with kids. Um, just being able to figure out those those lanes of communication would be crucial. Asking questions, right? I don't think we do enough of that, right? We're about telling. We should be about asking, right, from our players. And, oh, and that's another whole nother podcast, Mike. But do we need to ask more, more for feedback? That's how you learn about people, right? That's how you learn and it's how they learn. You know, right. When I first started running basketball camps, I was in the telling, mode, exactly. telling mode of, of coaching. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I would, the, the longer I did it, and now I've carried this over to the coaching that I do now with people is, it's really, people have, they have the answers. 
we have to create the space for those answers to unfold with them within them and when they can come up with the answers on their on their own that's when they take personal responsibility and ownership in creating that change or that uh, whatever whatever the next is in that space right and when we can empower them through asking the right questions and we take ourselves out of the equation we're creating more leaders not creating more followers we're creating more people who feel empowered to take ownership versus people who are or players who are always looking for the coach to tell them what the next thing to do is right and i think it starts with asking the right questions yeah and that that's just hey, that, that's uh preparation and getting to know your kids more and it I think we got to do more of that than probably maybe preparing an offensive system or whatever or drills. Uh, I think that's really neglected in our profession. Uh, that's why we have you on, Mike, to help us out. Hey, um, tell me this. Give me one example of maybe, you know, one of your maybe a Curry example of somebody you've worked with or maybe somebody in the business world that people might really know that we can take something from that. Because I know you've worked with a lot of, a lot of, uh, very successful people. I would say one of the most important lessons that I've learned in my life was something I learned from Steph Curry about God, almost 10 years ago now, nine and nine years ago. And so back in 2011, Steph flew me out to Charlotte to be a director at this skills Academy that he was running for some of the top high school college players in the country. And, I got to know him a little bit that, at this academy and observed him and see him interact with players. And, and then I got to know him a bit more when he would always come to Milwaukee or to Los Angeles to play the Bucs or Lakers or Clippers, wherever I was living at the time. And, and I would always go watch the pregame workouts because, mm -hmm. you know, as you know, like in the NBA, they do a ton of their individual skill work pregame Pre during the season because of all the travel and everything that's going on. So I'd always go watch the workouts because NBA coaches, you know, I, my, my opinion is the NBA coaches are some of the best at individual skill development. And so I'd always go try to watch the workouts and see right. what I could pick up. Well, it was a January is a super cold Milwaukee day. And I took this kid that I was working with at the time early to watch Steph go through his pregame workout. This kid's name was Jordan. He was in eighth grade at the time. And I took him to the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. And we walked in through the security enter entrance and through the tunnel where everybody runs out for warm-ups. And we had a seat on the courtside seats that would become the team bench for the game. And Steph came over and he, and he said hi. And Jordan was just in awe of being in the presence of, of Steph Curry. And Steph took about the next 15 minutes to talk to Jordan. And he asked him about school. He asked him about his family. He asked him about his friends. Rarely anything that had to do with basketball. And what I learned by observing Steph, this was right before he kind of took off and, and went on his quote unquote, I guess, MVP runs right before he kind of blew up in the playoffs, was that this was one of the ways that he was he's able to play with so much joy and freedom and gratitude and that's because he doesn't place his self-worth on the line every single time that he steps on the court 
he finds value beyond basketball. He finds value in being uh, a, a citizen, right? As a, uh, a change agent in the Bay Area, as a husband, as a father. And because of that, he's able to let go of so much of this external pressure and just play with the joy and the gratitude and the freedom and the creativity that we see him play with, right? I think you probably agree with me that you probably never seen another player in your entire life play with so much joy and gratitude yeah. and freedom, right? Nobody takes the crazy shots that he takes without playing with a certain level of, of freedom and creativity. Obviously, this partially is tied to the, the tons of work that he put in and the skill level that he's developed, but it's also heavily tied to the fact that he doesn't tie all his self-worth up into the game. And so what I learned from him was that when we can drop our need to obtain this self-worth from our external accomplishments, whatever that is in business and sports or in life, we can drop more into the present moment, which is the only place that we can do our greatest work and that we can show up as the best version of ourselves. And I've tried to really adopt that with everything that I have done in my life. And it is a daily battle every single every single day because we're conditioned by society to believe otherwise that we have to do more and become more and achieve more just to give ourselves permission to, to feel good about ourselves in some way, shape or form. And when we can drop all that pressure and find value in something greater than, than our work or our on-court performance, that's when we can let go of so much of that pressure. And ironically, letting go of that pressure is when we can be at our best. That was well said. And, and, but do you think our culture though, cause I, I deal with this, you see our culture where, where kids are playing one sport all year round, 70 games, you know, it, it's like the parents go to every tournament. There's a lot of pressure to excel, to get to that next level. I don't think that's a healthy culture right now. Is it Mike? I think that's, it's, as a culture, I'd say no. I think it's, it's tough because I do believe at a certain point that is right for a small number of players, gotcha. right? You get to be a freshman in high school, maybe even an eighth grader. And, you know, I could go play at Duke. I could go play at Virginia. I possibly could play in the NBA, right? That kid should not be setting the barometer for everybody else. And that's the challenge with, with what is happening in youth sports, especially basketball. Because I, I do believe like that is the right decision for that kid who's in ninth grade, 10th grade. He should be spending most of his time playing basketball. I mean, I, I look back on like when I played, if I didn't pick up a basketball for a month or two months and I, I wanted to play college basketball, there was – you know, there you lose, you lose, uh, you can't pick up right where you left off. Right. right. And you do lose a certain amount of your, your skill level and your, um, just your feel for the game. Right. And, and it is different for, for everybody. Like some kids can go a month without picking up a basketball and they pick it up and like in a week they're good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Some kids can't do that. And so I think it's a decision that has to be made with, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of intention, and it can't be something that you do because everybody else is doing it. Because reality of it is, is 
it is not healthy for a majority of the kids, but you got to, you have to make that decision with a lot of awareness. Yes. And I, I just don't feel like a lot of kids are getting that honest appraisal by the right people. That's hard to, right? I know you see that too as well. So maybe a 1% can probably do that, right, Mike, like yourself, whatever. But there's a lot of kids that are being told to focus on one where they can help a school out and help themselves out by playing two to three sports and really help a community out. I, I, that's what I see a lot, kids that should not be playing one sport or all year round. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's an issue right now overall just in our culture. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics that go into it, right? You're in a town of a few thousand people, and you're the best athlete in the school, and you know you could help your high school football team out, and you guys, the team, you probably win three, four more games, and maybe you'd be able to compete for a conference championship. But your dream is to play at Duke, and it's an actual possibility. Not sure. like I'm just making this up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's an actual possibility for that to happen, and you don't want to risk tearing your ACL and you want to work on your game for the yeah, I, I agree. 10, 12 weeks of, of fall football season, right? Like it's, there's a lot of, it's not a one size fits all answer by any means. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think, I think the people too, that are, are, you know, using this kid as an example, like put yourself in that kid's shoes, right? Maybe he can help, help, the high school team out win their conference championship. But, you know, look at the big picture of it is, is this kid chasing a childhood dream equivalent to a team winning a, a conference high school football championship. <laughs> like you got to kind of, where do you, you know, how do you make a decision around that? I don't know what the right answer is. I'm just yeah. trying to ask a question to, to maybe open people's perspectives as to what, the right decision is for that kid. Yeah, you got to weigh all those options. Hey, Mike, tell us how, I mean, you have provided us so much great information on meditation, self-awareness, um, things that we can do. You've really helped me out as a coach. I took out going one for one. I'm going to take that right away, going one for one, and then be here now. I love that. Just focus on the present moment. We're definitely going to use that tomorrow in our workout. Hey, how can we get a hold of you for more information? Your website is awesome that you have. How can we get a hold of you? Tell the coaches. Yeah, I'm more than happy to, to help anybody out with whatever I can. Uh, you can connect with me on social at who is Mike Lee, both on LinkedIn or Instagram. Uh, drop me an email, Mike at mindshiftlabs.com. More than happy to help anybody out with whatever I can. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Matt Thomas. I watched the playoffs course. They had it, you know, uh, um, all in the, uh, you know, the empty gyms there in Orlando. But I go, yeah. man, where did this guy come from? I looked at him, I go, and he's on the Raptors. I, and he came in, I forget what game it was. Man, he was lock and loaded. He was hitting shot after shot. I, you probably saw the game. Man. I mean, he was busting it from everywhere. And it's like, it's funny you mentioned that because I definitely know who he is now. A lot, a lot more people do. <laughs> yeah, he had a game against the Bucks. I think he, I mean, he just, I think he hit every was. shot that he took almost in the first half. Yeah, I said, man, where do they find these guys, man? But Toronto, I have to say, they do a great job of player development, don't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure.
Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, um, hey, keep up the good work, man. I'm definitely going to follow, man. And, um, and I, I definitely wish you the best of luck in your journey. Thank you for sharing with us. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential. Hi, this is Kirk Gilsdorf of Clackamas Community College Women's Basketball, formerly Oregon City High School Girls Basketball. And as a veteran coach, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things to listen to, somewhere I can improve my coaching. And I've discovered the Championship Vision podcast from Kevin Furtado, and it has become my number one go-to podcast each and every week. Kevin brings in guests that provide a unique perspective, whether it's on X's and O's, philosophy, drill work, whatever it might be. Uh, he's going to get something out there that's going to help me as a coach get better. And I think that's what we should all be doing as coaches is helping each other get better. Uh, Kevin himself is, is always hungry to learn. You can sense that in his podcast. And so, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Championship Vision Podcast, Kevin Furtado. Keep up the great work.